opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed being in this show since 2005. Your host is Marty Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Marty's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kuci.org slash privacypiracy. All right, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the Internet of Things and medical devices. And this is really an important issue because all of us now are finding so many ways that the these wonderful devices can help us and can help our health, but also there's some very dangerous issues with regard to our privacy and security. And talk about great guests. We have had Rebecca Harold on our show many, many times, and it's always so enlightening, inspiring, and really educational. I just love her so much. And so let me tell you, if you haven't heard her before, you're going to get a real kick out of this because she's very engaging and she knows her stuff. So let me tell you about Rebecca Harold, who has been Oh, gosh, for over 25 years, she's been in systems engineering, information security, privacy and compliance, and she has so much experience in so many different ways. She is the CEO of the Privacy Professor, which is a consultancy that she founded back in 2004, and she's co-founder and president of SIMBUS 360 Information Security. Privacy, Technology, and Compliance Cloud Services. This is a business that she founded in 2014. Rebecca has authored 19 books, including two published in 2017 by ISACA and hundreds of articles, and she's received numerous awards and recognitions for her tremendous work. Rebecca holds the following certifications, FIP, CISSP, CISA, CISM, I could go on and on and on, (laughs) so she'll talk more about that, but Rebecca is based in Des Moines, Iowa, and let me give you a couple of her websites that are most important, privacyprofessor.org, that's an easy one to remember, uh, and privacyguidance.org. And she links to all those others. And at our website at privacypiracy.org, we link to her various websites. You can also follow her on Twitter at privacyprof. So let's get started. I want to talk to you, Rebecca, and just fill myself with wisdom from you. So thank you so much for joining us again. 
Well, thank you so much. I always enjoy speaking with you about these topics. And, boy, the Internet of Medical Things is so important, and it's growing in importance, too, to make sure people understand what the issues are. Yes, yes. So let's let's talk about that. And then, you know, I, I just thought about this. I just ordered the brand-new Apple Watch, and there's all sorts of devices on there that I can measure my heart and all sorts of things that I think you're going to have to give some advice to me and everybody else who wears wears an Apple Watch that has those apps that monitor their body, right? Right, right, definitely, because those are a type of uh, medical thing. And, And when I'm talking about the Internet of Medical Things, I'm talking about a wide range of devices that are increasingly getting that type of data from you automatically, you know, it it measures such things as your location, how many steps you've taken, um, oftentimes, you know, how often you're moving, there's some devices that will even analyze your skin um, to see, you know, how much salt there is in it, how much sugar there is, I mean, it's, it's getting very impressive, the capabilities of all these devices, but on the other hand, that's a whole lot of data, and there's a lot of people interested in that data. And I've been working with medical device um, creators and engineers for the past several years, and, and I'm really concerned that so oftentimes they're creating these devices to do really great, beneficial things for our health, but they're not thinking about and building in the security and privacy controls that really need to be built into these devices. Right. They're not thinking about privacy by design and security by design, mm-hmm. building it into that. That's 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 where you're needed. So for those, those people who are really not even thinking about this or it just seems really foreign, let's talk about why they call it the Internet of Things so that people understand what we're talking about. Oh, sure. So there are increasingly more types of devices that are collecting data and sharing data and processing data automatically that, you know, you don't even need to have any interaction with that device in order to have it to do it. So, you know, most of us, we're used to working with computers and and we have an interaction that we are aware of. When we type in the keyboard, we know we're communicating with it. When we're on our smartphone, we know we're communicating with it. Well, Internet of Things are these devices that have been built so that once they've been activated, they will start collecting data often from the networks or the people that they are attached to or uh, from the vicinity that's around them. So they're, they're engineered to collect a lot of different types of data and then transmit that data to either other devices or to your smartphone apps or up to a cloud. Um, So we call it the Internet of Things because it's like we're surrounded by all these what we call smart devices and we call them smart because they have these uh, types of computing power and data collection and analysis power and it does not take um, active, actively known actions by those using them in order to have them doing all these things. And in fact, a lot of times the people who use them don't even realize all the many different types of data 
that they are collecting and analyzing, and um, even more often than that, they don't even know all of the other entities, other types of organizations and vendors and people who are getting access to that data, who it's being shared with. So, you know, that's that's a, a very significant issue that needs to be addressed more often. Right, right. And I'm thinking of all the people that are, you know, athletes that are mm-hmm. using these devices to help them see things. And, and you know, like I said, I'm, I, I'm waiting for my, my Apple phone to come, but I know I... I one of my friends let me wear his Apple phone for an evening, and I was getting a kick out of looking at everything. But then I realized um, there's a lot of things that are being collected by by Apple. Now Apple shares with my phone too, and I don't. I'm not a big Apple user in terms of having an iPad and having a Mac or whatever, which would obviously share across the whole platform. But um, so. What do I need to do? Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening to this who have an Apple phone. I- I'm seeing more and more of them. Every all my friends and people at the office, they all have Apple phones. So, so let's talk a little bit about this. Um, is Apple better than others in terms of sharing, or what kind of worries should I have? At least, um, can you tell me? Yeah. Well, you know. With regard to Apple specifically, of course, with their Apple operating system, they have many, many different other organizations that have created apps and they've created actual devices that work with them. So if you're looking at Apple itself, generally Apple has shown some pretty good awareness of security and privacy issues, and we've seen that. Yeah, we've seen that by how they've reacted when they've had different requests to, like, build in back doors to their security um, programs. And and I believe they've reacted to that in appropriate ways because technology, if if you uh, weaken it by building in back doors, no matter for what reason you're doing it, it still weakens it and it uh, creates a vulnerability for everyone using it. So as far as their specific devices, I believe they've been fairly good, but when you start getting into more and more risks is when they start then having more and more other organizations that build apps, that build products, that communicate Mm. with their Apple devices, and if those apps and those cloud services and those other devices are not built with strong security and privacy built into them, then basically they can create a pathway into a device that on its own you've uh, created some pretty good security for, but if you use, let's say, an unsecured app, and oh my gosh, there are so many app creators out there who don't even address security or privacy. I mean, they simply don't. If if they have an app that's being used on an Apple device, but they don't have any security, then basically they could be creating a pathway directly into your device to get to data that, if you didn't use that app, um would be more secured. So, you know, that's where a lot of the security problems come in, not only with Apple, but with Android devices, too. And then, you know, on a network with other types of computers, like with the the medical devices, this is something that concerns me so much 
Um, The different types of implantables that are smart now that Mm. communicate, you know, you have your pacemakers, you have your infusion pumps, you have all these many different um, types of devices, inhalers and so on, and thank goodness we have all of these different new types of devices to help people improve their health, but so many of the, the medical device manufacturers I speak with, when I say, well, what security controls do you have built in? Um, <laughs> they don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, or they say it's not our problem. They <sighs> literally say that's up to those who are using <sighs> them to make sure that their environment is secure. So <sighs> as an example, um, there's a, a large pharmaceutical that I just communicated with in the past month, and they were talking about this really cool new uh, medical device that will be able to generate a lot of data to help their patients who are wearing it. And I said, well, this sounds really cool, but, uh, but it has to do with treating cancer. I said, you know, I lost my father to cancer, mm. uh, a couple of grandparents to cancer, mm. aunts and uncles. I said, I want to see this. Right. But I said, at the same time, how are you protecting that data right. that is being... And they said, well, with near-field communication protocols, or you'll see it as NFC. So if you see, well, we're using NFC protocol to secure it, I said, well, that's good. What that means is they're saying that you have to be close to a computing device in order for that data to be collected. So So that's what NFC means? Near near field communication. I see, okay. Yeah, NFC, near field. But when I said to them, I said, well, that's good. That helps to address, you know, the need to be physically close. But I said, what if that device that you're physically close to is connected to the network (laughs) or the Internet? Right, 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 right. Basically, then, if you're communicating with a near-field communication protocol to an unsecured device, you've basically attached that person to an unsecured network. So anybody on that network could be getting to their data. And, you know, I've had some very interesting conversations with the the medical device manufacturers about this, and oftentimes they just, um, they just, in the conversation and go elsewhere because, uh, you know, they, they, they just don't know how to address that very real fact that even if you have a near-field communication protocol or NFC protocol, that in and of itself is not sufficient. They need to go beyond that, and that's really what we need to make sure that any type of a medical device that you're getting has to have security controls to, at the very minimum, require um, authentication to the device and also encrypt that data because most devices that have health data, both the direct-to-consumer devices like, you know, we were talking about earlier or those that doctors are using in their hospital systems, they need to have just the basics to ensure that people can't get into those devices and change the settings or capture the data or modify the data. Right. I mean, you could kill somebody. Right, right. I mean, if you're talking about monitoring someone with insulin, for example, and somebody Mm -hmm. gets in there and they they want to get rid of this person, you know, or they see some way to make that person sick, maybe that person is a senator, maybe that person is a high... high, uh, 
you know, high-profile person. I mean, there could be some real criminal activity that could kill somebody, right? Exactly. And you know what I told them? I said, you know, if I wanted to be someone who is very malicious, what better type of insidious attack would that be than to go through networks and modify the settings of devices so Mm. that people start getting sick or they start dropping dead and the doctors are going to be scratching their heads because they're going to wonder why, you know, why is this happening? Because they won't even think about the fact that maybe it was the device Mm. that was compromised. And just think about how terrorists could use that. Exactly. Well, I I have a a personal story to tell you to share to kind of give insight into this. So, you know, I was born with um, congenital hip dysplasia, which you don't really know about that until you get older, and then it's like all of a sudden, oh, gosh. So I've got... I've had golden retrievers with that, so I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I have a Doberman, and it's funny, Dobermans are notorious for hip dysplasia, so I guess I picked the right kind of dog because she and I both have hip dysplasia. This one loves company. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, we both understand each other that way. So anyway, so there were a few times I would go in for steroid shots into my hip bone, um, and the last fall, I was waiting within the musculoskeletal um, doctor's office and for them to show up. And so I was surrounded by all of these medical devices in this room where I was waiting for them. And I always love watching, well, I don't love watching, but I always want to watch when that needle goes into my hip because I want to see where it's at. So, sure. But anyway, when I was waiting for them, I had just gotten last year a new phone, um, a BlackBerry Priv. And a BlackBerry Priv has encryption and security built into it so I thought yeah so I had gotten an app and an app that I got is able to identify open wireless access points so in other words I can see all of those devices that are available that are smart and that I could potentially get to so I was sitting there on the table I thought I'm going to use my app to see if there's any <laughs> unsecured devices. Spoken like a and security expert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I thought, sure, I might as well. Well, I did. And I found over a dozen of the devices there in that office <sighs> um, that were not secured at all. They had no password. They were connected onto the um, clinics and larger hospitals network, uh, and I, if I wanted to, if I had been malicious, I could have taken the data, I could have, you know, gone into those devices and made changes, so when the doctor showed up, I said, you know, I'm wondering, I said, do you have a good information security you know, department here, and they're like, well, yes, we have some of the best. They, you know, they spend a lot of time on our firewalls and make sure that people can't get into our networks and all this. I said, well, and then I explained what I did, and I showed him my phone. He must have died. (laughs) He must have fallen. I looked at that, and I said, you know, all those are devices that are unsecured, and he just, you know, kind of was quiet, and he said, well... I'm going to have a talk with our security officer about that, which he did. I followed up with him. But I guess my point with this is the fact that oftentimes because those devices were not built 
with security controls with them then. Right. And oftentimes, you know, this um, office I was sitting in was an interior um, room. I mean, I had to go into a big building, and from there I went into a smaller area, and from there I went into a smaller room. And by the time I got in, I had gone through four different, you know, types of rooms to get to this interior room. But I think oftentimes those who are addressing security and privacy in these areas, they address getting to the network in the traditional way, and they don't realize that those who have entered into the vicinity and they're aware of these near-field communication protocols are being used, that me, I could have not only gotten access as being someone unauthorized, but just think about everybody else sitting in the waiting room who's also using their phone. And so I think it's a very important lesson that even though we spend a lot of time on security and privacy for the more traditionally thought of components, these medical devices and health devices create pathways that oftentimes people haven't thought of or that the poor, and I know a lot of security officers in large organizations, and they are trying to do their best. And I I know that some of them have told me that, you know, it takes so much time and energy for them to even create sub-networks only for the medical devices because they're trying, the ones that are aware of this, are trying to segment the uh, network so that those devices are in an area that's not putting the rest of the entire health data at risk. Well, they should hire you to consult with their with their people. My God, I hope they did at least. Yeah, well, actually, I was in um, uh, recently at a large uh, pharmaceutical talking about this very issue with those people who create medical devices. So, you know, I... That's a great trying. example. Yeah, they must have all opened their mouths wide, like, oh, shoot. <laughs> That one gets their attention usually because it's a real, you know, it's not theory. I mean, we've heard about theory just last um, month. It made headlines, and I literally had 34 different of my friends send me articles about the pacemaker by the the major uh, medical device manufacturer where there were three-quarters of a million pacemakers that researchers had found vulnerabilities in, and they recommended that half a million get those updated right away. And a lot of people say, oh, well, but those were researchers, you know. Even though they found that vulnerability, it did not, you know, we don't know that it has actually been exploited in the real world. Well, come on, folks. Well, but it could, and especially a heart pacemaker, right? I mean, somebody yes. could make your heart go really, really fast and get rid of you. Let's say, you know, yeah. so instead of getting a divorce, somebody decides, gee, I don't have to share my community property. I'll just kind of increase his or her uh, pacemaker so that they die right there. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. And, you know, who knows? Even though we don't know about those things happening, the fact that, People wouldn't think to check that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it has. And the data itself is so valuable. I mean, we've already seen just earlier this year, a man was found guilty of fraud based upon data that the investigators took from his pacemaker. So um, basically this man said that he was his bedroom was on the second floor of his house. And when he woke up, he woke up to flames 
all around and his house was on fire. So he hurried and ran and he threw in the valuables into his suitcase, one or two suitcases, as quickly as he could. And he threw it out of his bedroom window and ran down the stairs and got into his car and got, you know, far enough away that you, you wouldn't be hurt by the fire. Well, the <laughs> investigators were thinking, hmm, now this is a fishy story. They kind of thought he was committing uh, insurance fraud. Yeah, yeah. And they thought, how can we prove this? So then they found out he had a pacemaker. Oh, and so they location, got did it show his location? Yeah. Oh, my God. It showed God. location. It showed the time. So the time that he had called in 911 and said this was going on, (gasps) we should have seen that pacemaker going crazy, right? Like, he's just, um, (laughs) he's he's stressed and he's running and he's, uh, you know, worried and all this. Well, the pacemaker did not show any of that evidence. Wow. Wow. But, you know, that's That's amazing that a guy got caught for fraud, but now that, People now that entities, different types of organizations know that they can use that data from these devices. Just think about all the other types of entities that are going to want to get access to that data for other reasons. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So you, you need to make sure if you're getting, you know, not only a medical device from your doctor, but definitely those growing numbers of devices direct to consumers, make sure that you read the privacy notices if they even have one. If they don't have one, I wouldn't use an app. I wouldn't use a device um, if they didn't have a, a privacy notice that explained how they collect and share data and, and the types of data. Or watch out for those privacy notices that are actually non-privacy notices that basically say, you know. They're just a notice, yeah. They're just a. Yeah, or (laughs) or they say whatever data we get from your device we consider is our data and we're going to use it however we want to. I've seen a lot of those as well. Well, I think that's really interesting because I think people need to know what questions to ask and how to look at it. I think because we as consumers don't know how to fix it but we can ask the questions and then have our doctors ask the questions. Or, you know, I'm thinking there's a new device out that I was going to just ask my ophthalmologist about, and it's by Allergan. And I just read about it, and what it does is it increases tears. I have dry eye, severe mm-hmm. dry eye, and it supposedly, it supposedly increases tear production. And uh, so it would have to monitor your tears, to, right? It would have to somehow. Right. So I'm going to ask about it, but now I, <laughs> I'm going to really ask about it. Well, how would, how does it know? Does it report back to you? How, what, how is that protected? I mean, we're all excited about these possibilities, yeah. but I think the, the problem is, is that these researchers and these doctors, they, they don't know anything about security and privacy. So, no, and yeah, that's you're, the challenge. You're right. you know? That's the challenge. And, you know, the engineers, um, I started as a systems engineer, so I kind of know the mindset. And I've been a member of IEEE, which, which is an engineering society, um, ever since, you know, my whole adult life. And that is something that usually engineers, when they're given a project, they're told what the, the device or the, the thing that they're building needs to do. And if they aren't told to build in 
privacy or security, which usually they aren't for any of these devices, then they aren't going to build it in because it's just not on the specifications that they've been given and told, here's what we want you to do and here's the scope of it. So that's something else I'm trying to help engineers understand that if they're ever building something that includes um, access to an individual or tracks an individual or has any type of personal data or insights into their lives, even if they weren't told to build in security and privacy, they really need to start asking questions. And you know, uh, you're so right, because uh, I, just, I just had a couple, they were both engineers, okay? And, um, and I can't tell you the company, but you would know the companies that they both work for. And so I was doing their divorce, and I encrypted everything. And then they'd send me things unencrypted, and I'd go, what is with you guys, you know? And, and I'm sending everything encrypted to them. I have passwords that, we had, that they had to decrypt. They knew that. And then still, they sent me sensitive data. <laughs> that that yeah. was so. You're right. They're, they're, even when I say something, I say, "Oh my God, remember to do this, guys." Yeah, it blew my mind. But we are out of time. Do you believe that, Rebecca? Oh my God, I know. But time goes so quickly <laughs> with you, Mari. Well, it's with you, you all, and I love the stories. So we are going to have to have you back again to talk more about this. But just give your website, and then it's time to go. Sure, uh, Symbus360.com was the other one that you didn't mention earlier, okay. so I'll throw that in there, and uh, privacyprofessor.org. Perfect. Okay, you just keep up the wonderful work, and we love you so much, and we will have you back again, okay? Well, thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.